Thank you guys so much. Get up for these guys on the stage. Okay, so uh, we call this weekend uh, Connect Weekend for a reason. And uh, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for coming out and for actually inviting your friends this weekend. We really appreciate it. I know I speak for Tim when I say this, um, but our hope every year is that this weekend is a significant weekend in this youth ministry. And you guys continue to blow us away with you guys showing up on the Saturday night when you could be doing other things, spending 20 bucks to be here instead of spending on something else, and also inviting many, many of your friends to be a part of this weekend. So we really, really, really appreciate you guys being here uh, for this weekend. So we appreciate that. Um, But we do call this weekend Connect Weekend for a reason. And the reason for that is our hope is that at the beginning of this semester, we want to uphold this, this idea of community in our ministry. What that means is we want you to engage in, in life-transforming relationships and friendships that will spur you on towards Christ-likeness. And, and so we have this weekend so that that process can begin to develop. It's not just uh, fun and games. It's not just music. It's not just teaching. But all of that should be pointing us to community uh, together with the body of Christ. And so my hope and my challenge to you is that as you go, as you go to, your, um, to your host homes after you leave here tonight, um, I, want, I want you to take this idea very seriously because um, if you see someone who is not a part of the group in your host home, if they're kind of on the fringe, they're not really a part of that core group of kids at that house, it's going to be your job to reach out to the, that kind of person. It's going to be your job to reach out to anybody and everybody that goes to the host home tonight um, in your group. Because we, we are the body of Christ. We want to uphold that value tonight and, and celebrate that this weekend. And so um, I want to challenge you that, that you're, you're on a mission tonight. It's not just, you know, to have fun, to goof around. It's actually to, um, to start this idea of community and, and to start off this year with that idea in mind. So, so please keep that in mind tonight as you go to your host homes later on. Uh, so speaking of community... Um, uh, I've known Ron Francis, our speaker, for I forget how long now, probably over 10 years, well over 10 years. And, uh, and just a little bit of background, he and I used to live in a, in a big house uh, with like eight other guys, which is always a bad idea to live with that many guys at one time. And, uh, but Ron lived with us. In fact, um, many of you guys are part of Tim Cartwright's ministry here in junior high. Um, you actually have Ron to thank for even being here in Texas and doing ministry in Texas because it was Ron that invited Tim to the church we worked at in Arlington to be an intern in Arlington, which is how I knew Tim and how um, Casey Burke knew Tim, which eventually led to Tim Cartwright being here in Temple, Texas. So Ron actually played a huge role in Tim even being your youth pastor. So give it up for Ron Francis. And so... um, but, but I will say that in the house that we lived in together, uh, I lived there with Ron for several years, and um, you get to know people very well when you live with them. That's an understatement, right? But, but I knew Ron very well. I consider him one of my closest friends. Um, he was in my wedding, and uh, I still value him to this day and his friendship. And so I asked Ron, I said, what are some things that you would like for these students to know about you before you get on the stage? And he gave me this random list. So um, I'm going to read off each thing, 
And if when I read a, if I read a certain thing and you think it's awesome, I want you to clap for it. All right. So here we go. I haven't read anything yet. It's because that's because you just know it's going to be good, right? All right. So so Ron has two tattoos. One of them is a cross on his back. And the non-spiritual tattoo is a fighting Irish on his ankle. You guys know the Notre Dame fighting Irish? This is the guy. Just like that. All right? So, okay, you know, quick funny story about that tattoo. I knew Ron for like two years. And uh, I knew he was a Mets fan. I knew he was a Knicks fan. I knew he was a Giants fan. I never saw him watch one Notre Dame game in two years. And then one day, no, no, listen, one day he comes home and he has a tattoo on his ankle of the Fighting Irish from Notre Dame. And I'm like, Ron, I never knew you were a fan of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And he's like, what are you talking about? I've always been a blah, 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 blah. And so uh, there, so he has that tattoo on his ankle. He's also a fan of the Mets, Knicks, and Giants. I mentioned that. Boo. <laughs> And he has, he loves Star Wars, anything Star Wars. And I just want to point out that I, I, I said that and I looked right over here and I see a guy with a Jason mask, holding a Jason mask right here. And so everyone stay away from him tonight, just so you're aware. All right. All right, so uh, also his favorite book is Crazy Love by Francis Chan. His favorite superhero is The Green Lantern. These are getting just as many boos as claps. All right, his favorite color is green. Surprise. Now... Now, I don't, know why, I don't know why Ron wanted this next thing in his bio, but he has had 40 kidney stones in his life. So, all right, two more, two more, two more, two more. All right, this is random. This shows how old he is. He graduated college in 1993. And he has been a youth pastor for 17 years much older than many of you. So give it up for Mr. Ron Francis. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. I'm going to set up, I guess, right here in the middle. I walk around. I move around a lot. But can you imagine an Irish guy whose favorite color is green? I know it's so cliche, but, you know, it just that's how it is. How do you raise these things? Just pull. Whoa. All right, so I got a great Dave Tate story for you guys. You guys want to hear a great Dave Tate story? This is, this is not just a story. This is a warning. For anyone who's thinking about doing any sort of pranks tonight, you do not want to see this side of Dave Tate. Like Dave, like Dave mentioned, we lived in this big, it was actually a frat house that the church had bought from UTA. And we lived there with like, there was like, like nine or ten of us that lived there. It was craziness. 
But because we were all interns at the church and we all worked with the different groups, there were always kids that were coming by to prank one or another of the interns. So we were getting pranked on a regular basis with, you know, the toilet paper and the forks in the lawn, which I've never seen anything like that in New York, um, and all these kinds of crazy things. So Dave, one day, he's like, I'm fed up with this. The next people that get us are in for it. So, you know, I hear Dave say, like, stuff like that all the time, and I'm like, whatever. So I'm having an event like this for my junior high group. I was the junior high pastor at the time. And my intern, she's taken a group to a host home of, like, five or six little sixth-grade girls. And she goes, hey, Ron, these girls really want to prank someone, but they don't want to get in trouble. Can they come prank you? I really want to give them a good, fun experience. And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem, you know. I'm figuring what kind of damage could, like, these cute, innocent, little sixth-grade girls do, right? And so, so and, and this is, like, a week or so before the thing. So by the time the night happens, I don't even remember I told them that. I just, you know, I come home from the event. I go to sleep, and I wake up to this unbelievable commotion. These girls had come by to start pranking us. And Dave, like, he caught them. He runs out of the house, and he assaulted these cute, innocent, little sixth-grade girls. Dave did. He turned the hose on them. I mean, okay, he, he drenched them. No, 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 no. It gets way worse. It gets way worse. He runs back in the house. He grabs a bag of flour. He runs out. He's throwing flour all over these drenched girls. No, no, he keeps going. He comes back in. He starts taking stuff out of the fridge. He, like, dumped a bowl of spaghetti on this one girl. I mean, he's going nuts. But the funny thing about it is these girls, they're just, like, running back and forth on the lawn screaming. They're not leaving. (laughs) And he just keeps, I mean, he must have made seven or eight trips back in the house. Finally, I hear this commotion, and I wake up, and... Dave comes in, he's like, Ron, we're getting pranked, but I'm killing these girls. I mean, he's like, no. And I'm like, wait, Dave, no, I told him they could. And it was like, he's like, it was like just crazy. And afterwards, after it was all said and done, and the one little girl, like her dad is like one of my closest friends. And he calls me up and I'm like, oh, Kevin, I'm, I'm so sorry. He's like, who was that psychotic person that lives in your house? And I'm like, I'm like, Kevin, I am so sorry. I forgot to tell Dave that I gave them the okay. And he's a little sensitive. And, uh, but Dave comes back into the house. He's got this glow. And his eyes are like lit up. Like you ever see someone who's just crazy? Okay. He's, he's, his eyes lit up. And he's like, Ron, they just wouldn't leave. It was awesome. I mean, and it, I think aside from like his marriage, his two kids being born, and his the day he accepted Christ as his Savior, that's probably his favorite day in life. Okay? So trust me, you do not want to awaken the sleeping dragon inside Dave Tate. Okay? That's, that's all I'm going to say. Now, I've been a youth pastor for a long time. Yeah, you can clap for your youth pastor. He's awesome. Good job, good job. I've been a youth pastor for a long time, and I was pastor of a youth group in Long Island, which is just outside New York City. And if anyone were to look at Long Island, they would say, wow, what a creative name. Because it's like 30 miles wide and 130 miles long. It's just a Long Island. They didn't even try and name it. 
You know, it's like, come on, guys, really? Uh, but anyway, so I'm a pastor, youth pastor in Long Island, and I have this youth group, and we would take these winter weekends, we called it, every year. It was the only time of the year that my junior high and my high school would get together, was for winter weekend. And every year it was epic. And every year the kids kept coming back because something amazing would happen the previous year. And there was always something that was like epically funny. There was always something that was like epically bad. There was always some that God would move in some epic way. Okay, so I'm going to share with you like an epically bad idea that happened on one of these trips. Okay, we're in the mountains in upstate New York. And, you know, in the winter, I know you guys may be unfamiliar with this sort of thing, but in the winter in New York, it snows. It's when white stuff falls from the sky, covers the ground, things get slippery, okay? So we're, we're in upstate. There's about a foot and a half of snow on the ground. And this camp has this one sleigh riding hill. And it's like the greatest sleigh riding hill in history except for one thing. At the very bottom of the sleigh riding hill begins the lake. Now, this particular winter, the lake hadn't completely frozen over yet. But does that stop any of my kids? No, of course not. They're going to see how close they could come to the lake before they bail off the sled. It seems like a good idea. Now, the hill is like this, literally. It's this steep. Okay, they actually had a rope tied to all the trees so that when people were walking back up the hill, they could grab the rope and help themselves back up the hill. That's how steep it was. And so... The kids are doing this all day long. You know, they're just having a blast. And one of my volunteers comes up with this great idea. She goes, hey, why don't we have them all come down at the same time and I can film it? And I'm like, you know, you know, by this time in the retreat, I've had like zero sleep. I always took like the, uh, you know, toughest kids in the youth group that none of the other, you know, leaders wanted to have in their room. You know, the kind of kids that like shop at like Thugs R Us. These are the kids I always had, okay? And so I have no sleep, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then I come up with the even better idea. We could have all the leaders at the bottom ready to catch anyone that's about to go into the water. Sounds like a good plan, right? Because you don't want the kids to go into the water. But no, this just gave the kids targets, okay? And this wasn't one kid on a sled, okay? This was like six or seven kids on a toboggan. Now... For those of you who don't know anything about math or physics, seven human beings traveling on a toboggan at about 45 miles an hour cannot possibly be stopped by one person standing still. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So, you know, a lot of the kids bailed out like they'd been doing, but some of the kids were coming right for us. There were two leaders in particular that they, they just wanted to, you know, just get. Um, and the one guy, he's... And you football players are like this, except for he was a coward. Um, he's like 6'5", 280 pounds. He was a linebacker or, or, a, or a lineman, I'm sorry, a lineman at his college, okay? He was, uh, no, a defensive lineman at his college. And uh, so he's huge. He sees this toboggan coming with seven girls on it, seven girls, and he dives out of the way. <laughs> seven girls right into the water. <laughs> now, fortunately, the water wasn't very deep. Okay, and the other guy that, that was the big target was this guy, Jay. He was like a beast. Okay, you just picture, he's like, you know, maybe 5'10", but he's one of those guys that works out to the point where his muscles, muscles have muscles. Okay, you know those guys, right? He's just like, you know, his arms are like bigger than your legs. And, and 
So he was the target of the Thugs R Us crew. Now, they come flying down, and he tries to catch them. Because he's not scared of anything, because he's a beast. Okay, he winds up, not in the water, but on the ice that started after the water, with a cracked rib. And the Thugs R Us crew wind up in the water. Now, the funniest part about this is one of the kids was wearing this giant parka that was like six sizes too, too, too uh, big for, like, Goliath. Okay? It's like the biggest coat known to man. It was actually a tent that held an entire village at one point. I mean, this coat is huge. And he lands in the water, and it immediately sucks up half the lake. He's on his back. And he, you ever see a turtle on its back? This is what it was, his arms and legs. And he couldn't get up. His coat was too heavy. He's stuck in about a foot and a half of water, and he can't get up because his coat's too heavy. It took like four guys to help him up out of the water. It was like the greatest thing, okay? It makes for a funny story, but it was an epically bad idea, all right? But, but in, those, in that same retreat, in that same retreat, okay, we get to the end of the weekend, and it was a lot of fun. But nothing special had happened spiritually, and all the kids were disappointed. Okay, and then it started snowing. Okay, it starts snowing in the morning. We're supposed to leave at lunchtime. By the time lunchtime call comes around, I get a call from the bus company. We can't make it up the mountain. You guys are going to have to stay there another day. Now imagine, now, you know, it's Sunday, and they're saying we're going to have to stay there another day, which means all these kids are super excited that they're not going to school on Monday, right? But we got nothing planned. Our worship team was gone. Um, they had already went home, uh, you know, our speaker had already went home and now I'm stuck here with like almost a hundred kids in upstate New York with nothing to do. So we're doing all these, you know, snow things. The snow keeps coming down. It winds up being about two feet. I mean, it's just a huge snowfall. And so we're doing all kinds of fun stuff, big snowball fights, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, but uh, we have to do something spiritual. I can't just have them here for a whole nother day. You know, they'll forget everything they learned about God by the time we leave. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And so this guy comes up to me that I didn't even know was at the camp. He just walks up. He's from South Africa. And he's like, hey, I'm passing through from Detroit to Florida. And uh, I just decided to come here. I'm like, well, Detroit's here and Florida's here and New York's here. It's, it's not really on the way. What do you, how are you passing through? He's like, well, I, I didn't realize how large your country was. I'm like, Oh, okay, so, so he's like, he's like, let me, he's like, can I give a testimony to your kids tonight? And I'm like, wow, this is great. I was just praying that God would provide something for us to do. So I'm like, yeah, sure. So we, uh, we got them all together. I threw an iPod on, and we actually worshipped from songs on the iPod, which generally doesn't usually work well, but for some reason really did that time. Okay, this guy gives a testimony. Another guy gives a testimony, and by the end of the night, we had like 15 kids accepting Christ. That didn't during the weekend, the whole thing. And I thought about it, and I'm like, wow, all the plans that I made were pretty good. I mean, the kids had fun. But the weekend didn't become special. It didn't become epic until God got involved. And the plans that he made made it amazing. And that's what my prayer is for this weekend for you guys, that it wouldn't be what I have to say, that it wouldn't be everything that Dave and Tim had planned. I mean, a lot of prayer and a lot of planning went into this, okay, and God does honor that. But my prayer is that God would take over and something special would happen here tonight, something special would happen tomorrow morning, something special would happen in your host homes that you'll always remember as the time that God got involved and things got crazy.
Okay, so tonight we're actually going to be talking about being one with God. It's Connect Weekend. We're going to be talking about being one with God. And uh, if you're new here tonight, that might seem like a funny concept to you. You know, one with God, what does that even mean? Maybe you don't know a lot about God. Maybe you don't know a lot about the Bible. Okay, maybe you're a little bit clueless. I was clueless as a kid. I would go into church and the preacher would be like, turn to the book of Nahum. And I'd be like, Nahum? Okay, and, you know, I'm, like, looking through it. I'm like, uh, dude, it's, it's not in mine. Okay, and, you know, of course, every single time I'm sitting next to little Becky Bible Drill, and she's like, I found it, and I've begun translating it from the Hebrew. And I'm like, what? You know, and I'm like, you know, you know where I am. I'm where a lot of you guys would be. I'm, like, stuck in the table of contents, you know, the TOC. You got to rock the talk, right? It's like, Nahum, what is that? And I never seem to get it, Okay. But, and I know what it's like to feel clueless in church. I know what it's like to feel clueless about things of God. And I also know that once I started growing, I know what it's like to fake it a little bit. I know what it's like to feel like, you know what? Maybe I'm not as close to God as I should be. But I put the church face on every Sunday, right? A lot of you guys know the church face, right? My mom had the best church face. We would wake up every week for church. I'm the youngest of five kids, so there's seven people in my house, and there was one bathroom. Not a good combo if you want to be on time anywhere ever, especially with my two sisters, okay? So we would always be late, and my dad hated being late, and so he would always be mad on the way to church. So, you know, this, these were the days before SUVs or, or minivans. So when you had a family of seven, you had to own a station wagon. My dad's station wagon of choice was a 1963 puke green Ford station wagon with wood paneling, Okay. And it only had room for six, which meant that the youngest member of the family, this guy, had to ride in the back where there were no seats. But it wasn't like the little back of a normal station wagon. It was like the big cavernous back of like a cave. <laughs> I don't know, cavernous cave. I don't know. And, and so my dad was a, was a member of the NYPD. He was very competent in pursuit driving. And so he would drive to church every Sunday as if he were pursuing a suspect. And his theory was, as long as two wheels were on the ground, we were safe. Okay, he's taking turns at like 60 miles an hour and stuff. I'm in the back rolling around, my head slamming into this window, slamming into that window. You know, I'm dazed. It's probably why I'm not as smart as I should be with the rides to church. My sisters, you know, they're screaming at each other, you made us late. No, you made us late. My brother is like looking back at me yelling, stop complaining. It doesn't hurt that bad. I'm like, but my head hit the window. You know, and, you know, by the time we get to church, we're all like enraged as we're, you know, going to worship the God of love and peace. And, you know, we pile out of the minivan and it smells like hatred. Okay. And yeah, it's a metaphorical smell. It's not even a real smell, but it smells like hatred and and then, you know, I'd be like dazed and I'd be complaining and, and someone would come up to my parents and they'd be like, hello, Mrs. Francis, how are you today? And my mom would be like, we're blessed. And I'd be like, blessed? We're not blessed, devil woman, look around. What car were you riding in? You know, she had the church face down perfectly, okay? And I know a lot of you guys have church face. You know, your weekend is terrible. You just did something bad. You failed in a major way, but you don't want anyone to know about it. So you get to church on Wednesday night and you got the smile. Okay. Maybe you'll even raise your hands while you're singing. Okay. 
And nobody ever has to know anything's wrong. But you know what? My family was dysfunctional. It took me a long time to deal with it. But if your family's like that, you're not alone. (laughs) If you're struggling with stuff, you're not alone. The whole point of this faith is to go through it together. There's no need for church face. Okay, you come here, you're struggling with stuff. You've got great leaders here. I've met some of them already. You've got phenomenal leaders, great youth pastors. Okay, you've got people that want to help you deal with the stuff. You know why? Because we've all gone through it before. Like Dave said, I'm old. And I've been through what a lot of you guys are going through. It may not be the same exact thing because we didn't have, you know, technology and stuff back then. You know, 63 Green Station Wagon was about as tech savvy as my family got. And, uh, but the problems at their base are still the same. You know, they may look a little different nowadays, but they're still the same. And so when you, you know, when you're struggling and you're looking around and you're like, but no one else seems to be struggling. Let me tell you guys, everybody's struggling. If you're not struggling, you know, you're one of the very few. And if you think you're not struggling and you are, you're lying to yourself. Nobody's perfect. Okay, so, you know, we finally get into church and we're hit with a lot of stuff that confuses us. Did you know, like a lot of times, the traditions in church drive people away from God? Like you go into a church and they have things like, you know, maybe you've never been there before and you hear something like communion. You're like, what's communion? Oh, it's like when we have the body and blood of Christ. We have to eat the body and blood of Christ? What is this, twilight? (laughs) What are you talking about? Are we cannibals? You guys are cannibals? I'm not coming to your church. That's gross. It's like, you know, but if you don't know, it's symbolic. If no one explains it to you, you know, that it's a symbolic act to remember what Christ did for us, then you're going to be like weirded out. Or like if you've ever been to a, a, I went to a charismatic church one time with a friend of mine. Okay, and I'm not going to make fun of a denomination. I'm just going to tell you my experience. We're standing there. We're worshiping. The worship was awesome. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Okay, but then the pastor comes up, and he starts smacking people in the forehead. And they go down, and they call that being slain in the spirit. And these people go down, and they're like out cold. And he's going down the line, and he's coming towards me. And I'm like, what? You know, and he smacks me right in the head. He's like, and I'm like, dude. You know, I didn't go down. I guess I, I guess I didn't have enough faith. I don't know. And so he's like, wow, it didn't, it didn't work the first time. He, like, warms up. I'm like, dude. So I'm thinking to myself, I don't care if this is church and this guy's a pastor. He punches me in the head one more time. He's going down. Okay? I'm, like, clenching up, and I think he sensed it because he, like, moved on. But I got everybody in the church is looking at me like, this is the guy that didn't go down. And I'll tell you, I never walked back into that church again. Okay, I was like, done. I'm like, if I want to get hit in the face, okay, I'll hang out in my neighborhood with my friends because sooner or later we're going to be fighting someone. I don't want to go to church and get hit in the face. It's just not it. I mean, you know, and then churches say, you know, they have, they have words that we don't know the meaning to. Like, anyone know the meaning of the word propitiation? Huh? That's a church word. Theologian in the back. Martin Luther back there, he knows the word. Okay. Okay, it means, you know, it's to appease God's wrath, okay? Or, or how about this one? If, you, if you're from like an old-timey denomination, maybe some of the leaders might know this. Who knows the word narthex? Okay, yeah. Like, I'm in church one time. I was working at this church. They hired me. 
And I didn't even know, like, what these words were. And they're like, we're going to have a meeting in the narthex. And I'm like, isn't that like a cow disease? You know, what is that? No, no, that's anthrax. I'm like, oh, like, is that like a death metal band? Are we going to witness to a death metal band? Narthex, you know? And they're like, no, it's the lobby of the church. I'm like, why can't you just call it the lobby of the church? I feel stupid. Why does God want me to feel stupid? Okay, and, and it's been like that throughout history. Even in Jesus' day, when Jesus was on the earth, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were like the Republicans and Democrats of Israel's ruling party, but only they were meaner, okay? And they had all these laws and the commandments, and they were constantly debating which is the greatest commandment, and this and that, and all these things. And they, they made things so complicated that the people felt far away from God. And they're always debating the law. They're always saying, okay, but if you break this law, it's okay. But then you have to have a sacrifice. You have to sacrifice a lamb. But you can't just sacrifice a lamb. You have to cut it up a certain way. And if it's not perfect, you have to start over. If you can't afford a lamb, you have to do a dove. And you have to do that differently. And people are like, what in the world is going on? How can I possibly be close to God? And then Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's like, stop me if you heard this one before. Say a man has 100 sheep. And now all the people are like... They're so used to hearing all this religious nonsense. Now, all of a sudden, it's starting to be simple. They're thinking, I have sheep, as do I. This man is relevant to our culture. Go on with your sheep story. Okay? And so Jesus is like, well, say you have 100 sheep, and you're putting them to bed in the sheep zone. I don't know where you put sheep to sleep. Okay? And, and you're counting them up, and you're saying 97, 98, 99. Uh-oh. One's missing. One's missing. What do you do? Well, the good shepherd, he'll go high into the mountains. He'll go down into the valleys. He looks for that sheep. He searches for that sheep because the good shepherd is not okay with even one lost sheep. He cries out the sheep's name into the wilderness, and the name that he's calling out is your name. And when he finds you, he's overcome with joy. He brings you back, and heaven is throwing a party because something that's so valuable that was lost is now found. And all these people are sitting here listening to Jesus say this, and they're like, now that I understand. I get that. So Jesus was teaching through stories like this. He was getting quite a following, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were getting jealous. They're getting afraid. They're like, wait, wait, he's taking all of our people away from us. And so they're constantly looking for ways to trick Jesus. They're constantly looking for ways to trip him up. And so, actually, if you go, if, uh, if we can put it up on the screen, um, what's the passage? If I could read. Blah, blah. Uh, Matthew, there it is, 22, 34 to 40. This is where this story is, okay? So, you know, the, the Sadducees... Um, are testing Jesus, and you see it says he silenced them. And so the Pharisees, they kind of like huddle up, and they're like, okay, we have to come up with the perfect trick question that's going to get Jesus. So they're huddled up in the Pharisee huddle, okay? They're talking about it for a while. They finally get it, and they're like, okay, sack Jesus on two. Hut, hut. Okay, you know, you know, they're ready to go, and they, get, they break their huddle. They give each other high V, which is back then high five, but Roman numerals. So they would have did a high V, Some of you are thinking to yourselves, what is he talking about? But you'll get it tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Okay, so so they they break their huddle, and this one teacher, this guy, expert in the law, goes up to him. He looks Jesus in the eye. He straightens his toga. And he says, I I don't speak Arabic, but in English, he said, teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, that doesn't sound like a hard question. Okay, that doesn't even sound like a mean question. I mean, but this isn't like little sixth grade Billy going, hey, Pastor Tim, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Tim's like, oh, little Billy's thinking about things of God. Good job, little Billy. Let's have a conversation. No, no. This is a guy who has memorized most likely the entire Old Testament, but at least Genesis through Deuteronomy. Okay, this is a guy who knows every single law. By the way, how many, how many commandments are there? Anyone? Ten? That's right. I don't, I don't ask hard questions. But if you read the book of Leviticus, which no one ever has, you find out that there's 613 laws. Okay, there's everything from don't kill. That's a pretty good one, right? Don't kill. To don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. But that's one of the Old Testament laws, okay? Here's another fun one. You shall not wear a garment woven of two different fabrics. Okay, so, yeah. Anybody in here with like a 50-50 blend, cotton polyester? Anyone? Yeah. Back in the Old Testament, you would have been like a cotton poly pagan. Okay? Sinner! Okay? Yeah. There were all these kinds of laws. You know, and this guy would have known it. This guy would have known it. He would have known, hey... I know every single one of these 613 laws. This is a trick question. This is the kind of question that no matter what you answer, you're going to be in trouble. Anyone ever have a question that no matter what your answer was, it was going to be wrong? Right. It's called algebra. A squared plus B squared equals failure. Okay. I know. (laughs) I'm right there with you. I don't have to take it anymore. Okay. But so this is the perfect trick question because if, if Jesus answers, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he's like, hmm, what do you say? Uh, what's number, number five? Honor your father and your mother. Uh, final answer. You know, they'll say, oh, so killing isn't important to you? Lying isn't important to you? Blasphemer. Okay. They're looking to discredit him. They're looking to take his followers. Or if he says, oh, you know what? You guys are trying to trick me. I know your schemes. I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to give you an answer. And they're going to say, wow, you're supposed to be the Messiah, but you can't answer a simple question. Blasphemer. Okay. That was the whole point is they want to get him. But Jesus, he doesn't even like blink. He looks at him and just immediately he quotes scripture. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. He's like, I'll throw in one for free. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Pharisees are all like, that's pretty good. You know, and they're like, you know, epic fail. Okay, Pharisee fail right up there on Facebook. Okay, they were looking at it on their one pads. Um, anyone? Roman numerals? Come on. Uh, okay, so, so he, he uh, you know, and then he says something that none of them would have missed. Okay, we may miss it because, it, you know, we don't know the situation, but none of them would have missed it. He's, and he, he adds in, he said, on this hangs all of the law and the prophets, which means everything in scripture can be boiled down. And I told you on Wednesday, four words, love God and love people. That's actually five. Love God, love people. There it is. Four words. Okay. Everything can be boiled down to a love relationship with God. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, these are the commandments that are important. Is it important not to kill? Obviously, right? But if you love your neighbor, will you kill him? No. Okay. Is it important not to lie? 
If you love your neighbor, will you lie to him? No. Is it important? You see where I'm going with this? All of these laws that they had, all these commandments they had, can be summed up by these two commands. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about loving God. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about loving people. Okay, and 1 John 5, 3 says, this is love for God to obey his commandments. Again, what are his commandments? Love God, love people. If we love God, we're going to do these things. Okay, so the first way we can be one with God is to love him. You know, we're trying to be one with God. The first way we could do that is to love him. You know, Jesus said, the, that, you know, Jesus said loving God is the greatest commandment. And to be honest, it should be the easiest commandment in the world to follow. I mean, you know, seriously, guys. God who created everything, God who created you, God who loves you, God who gives you good gifts, God who, you know, if you, if you have breath in your lungs, God gave it to you. If you can walk, God gave you the ability. I mean, love this God? Seriously, that's a commandment? To love this God? I mean, it would be like me saying, okay, Temple Bible Church, I have a commandment for you. Ready? It's going to be a tough one. Breathe air. I know some of you are like, wow, this is going to change everything. I mean, you know, right? Breathe air. That should be obvious. Here's another good one. Okay, love chocolate. Okay? Right? Right? Okay. I'm giving you guys good commands here. Here's another good command. Hate mosquitoes. Okay? And some of you are thinking... You know, in between the cheers, you're thinking, why are these even commands? It should be obvious. Of course we breathe air. Chocolate's inherently lovable. Mosquitoes are inherently hateable. Okay? You know, is there anyone with a problem with that? Like maybe like one guy from the Mosquito Defense Society. He's like, we are not to be hated. We're just misunderstood. You know, no. You know, it's not, they're not commands. It'd be like you come home from school and your mom's like, Johnny, I have a command for you. And you're like, oh, come on, mom. Stop harping on me. And she's like, I want you to go to your room and play video games and eat this bag of Cheetos. This is my command. Right? You're like, I can do this. I love you, mom. You know? Yeah. It should be like that. It should be obvious. Loving God should be something that's obvious to us. So why is it so hard? It should be something that's easy for us. That's something that's so unbelievably obvious. But why is it so hard? Love God. Okay, everyone struggles with it. Okay, and I think the reason that loving God is so hard is that, you know, we've bought into a lie about God's goodness. And we don't trust God. Which is my second point. If you want to be close to God, you have to trust him because you can't love him till you trust him. Okay, see... Somewhere along the way, Satan pulled out this lie. And humanity stopped trusting God. As a matter of fact, in, uh, I think it's John 1.8 or John 8.1. I don't know. It's in John. Jesus says that when Satan lies, he speaks his native language, which means he speaks lies. Okay? Yeah. Some of you are like, hey, I know that one. All right? You know, one of my nieces, you know, she, she's in high school now. She's a sophomore in high school. Um, but when, when, sophomores, yeah. When she was in junior high, um, she was very fluent in lies. She had a very casual relationship with the truth, okay? She just, it didn't come out very often. 
She's a lot better about it now. But to get back to the original lie that caused us to lose faith in God, we have to go back to the scene of the crime. Okay, so we're going to go like CSI Eden. Okay, right. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So, so day one, he uh, said, let there be light. Day two, he separated water from water. Day three, he made land. Day four, he made the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets. Even me? No, Pluto, not you. Not a planet. Okay? Oh. Okay, so... Day five, he made, the, he made the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Day six, he made the beasts of the land, and he made Adam and Eve. So he makes Adam and Eve. He places them in the Garden of Eden, which the Hebrew word for Eden actually means paradise. Okay, so, so God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in paradise, and then he starts to give them commands. And up to this point, God has only ever been good to them. And so they have no reason to mistrust him. And his first command is, I want you to rule over this garden. Okay, rule over the earth and subdue it. I want you to tend this garden. Now remember, this is a perfect garden. This is paradise, which means that there was previously a gardener, which was God. So God puts him in paradise, gives him an easy job, you know, something to do. We have to uh, name all the animals. And Adam's like, this is cool. Day one, he's like, I will name you Platypus. I will name you kangaroo. I will name you snuffleupagus. Okay. And like, by like the end of the week, he's like, okay, you're an ant. You're a fly. Um, dog. You know, he, he was just out of good ideas. Okay. That's why, you know, some animals' names are so lame because, you know, Adam just couldn't think of any more. And, uh, but he's sitting there. He's like, yes, I will rule this land and I will subdue it. I am the man. And Eve's like, you're the only man. Okay. And uh, so, and uh, you know, after all this, God comes back. He says, I have another command for you. And they're like, all right, lay it on us, God. We like the first one. He's like, be fruitful and multiply. Now, if you don't know what that means, ask your host home leaders. Okay. I'm not really going to go too into it, but this is a good command. Okay. This is a command that's very enjoyable. And we have to remember that, that God invented this. Okay, Satan didn't invent this, even though the church reacts strongly to it sometimes. God invented it. Satan just took it and perverted it because that's what Satan does. Satan can't create anything. He's not a creator. Satan can only pervert God's good gifts. James tells us that every, gift, every good gift is from above, from God. Okay, but Satan is a ruiner. Take any example. If you look at food... God fully intended for food to be awesome and for us to enjoy it. Satan perverts it. He can't create non-food, right? Except maybe school pizza. Um, Okay, he can't create non-food. So what does he do? He perverts the use of food, like through, like tempting us to gluttony maybe, or through eating disorders. Okay, anything, anything in life that God created that's good, Satan has perverted because he doesn't want us to enjoy God's good gifts. He sees that we take pleasure. How many of you have ever had a bite of of food that when you bit into it, you were just like, oh, oh, this is so good. And you had like extreme pleasure in that bite of food. Satan hates that. Satan hates when God's gifts give us pleasure. And so he wants to twist them. He wants to take them away from us. Okay, and so he, you know, he perverts God's good gifts. 
And, you know, then we're left thinking, hmm, these gifts aren't so good. Okay, so we get to Genesis 3, 4, okay, and God, God comes back and he says, I have a third command from you. You may eat from any tree in the garden. And Adam and Eve are like, sweet. You know we like fruit and you know we like a variety. Awesome, God. Thank you. And he's like, but wait, but wait, any tree except the tree in the middle. For the day you eat of it or touch it, you will surely die. Okay, now, this is where all their attention gets drawn to the tree in the middle. Okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say Pastor Gary comes down, and he says, Here, Johnny, I have here a key that will open any door in the entire church complex. You want to see what's in my office? This key will open it. You want to see Tim's weird Philly collection? It's, you know, this key will open his office. You want to see how neat Dave is and how crazy Casey is? This key will open their offices, okay? This key will open any door. Now go explore the church and enjoy. We'd be like, all right, let's see what's going on in here. You know, staff fridge, someone didn't, you know, label their food, sweet. You know, we're checking through everything. But then, like, as we're getting ready to, like, go out and enjoy this, he says, but I just have a favor to ask for you. You see that closet right there? That one right there? The key will open that closet. But I'd really prefer if you didn't go in there. I just, I just don't want you to see what's in that closet. Now all of a sudden, what's the only door in the church you want to open? That closet, right? That's the closet of mystery and wonder. Some of you may have never even noticed that closet, and afterwards you're going to be like, I have to see what's in this closet. Okay? Yeah. That's all you can think about now. Okay, and so Satan sees his opportunity, and he comes in, and he hits her with this lie in Genesis 3, 4. He says, let's read it. It's dark up here, so it might take me. Here we go. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the lie. You get people to, to doubt God's word. You know, you will not surely die. And then you get people to doubt God's character. For he knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. See, he's saying he's tricking you. He's holding back from you. He doesn't want to give you all these good gifts. He wants to save them for himself. Okay? And so it wasn't just that Satan got Adam and Eve to sin. He got them to believe a lie that would lead to every other sin. He got them to doubt God's goodness. And that's where we are today. That's why we find it so hard to trust God. Because if you, don't, if you doubt God's goodness, if you don't believe God is good, every manner of sin will spring up in you. If you don't believe the promises that he's made, you're going to make mistakes while you're waiting for those promises. And it just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And every single sin in my life that I've ever committed can be traced back to disbelief. Okay, so you have to ask yourself, what do I believe about God? Maybe some of you have never thought of that before. And maybe that's why some of you are kind of drifting aimlessly in your walk with God. Because you don't even really know what you believe about God. You know, is God some like mean old man up there ready to smite you if you do something wrong? Up, oh, Tim yelled at his son, Whoosh, smite Tim. Some of you are like, yes, smite Tim. Okay, but you know, up. Dave had an argument with his wife, smite Dave. Is God, this, is God this mean old guy up there waiting for us to fail so he can take pleasure in smiting us? 
Or is God like some like hippie grandpa who's like smoking pot on the front lawn saying, oh, just go have fun. I want you to be free and happy. You know? Or is God holy and righteous and pure and loves us so much that he gave up the thing that meant most to him so that we could have a chance to be with him because he loves us? Is, is that God? See, this theologian that I like to read sometimes, his name is A.W. Tozer. I'm sure Dave has probably quoted him because he's smart. And he says, what you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. What you believe about God is the single most important thing about you. Because if you don't know, you know, if you don't believe that he's perfect, that's a problem. If you don't believe that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's pure, that's a problem. It's going to lead to problems in your life. And if you don't believe that he loves you, it's going to lead to problems. See, what I find in a lot of youth groups is that almost all of us believe in God. But we don't always believe God. He's given us very specific promises all throughout Scripture. And if we don't believe those promises, we wind up getting ourselves into trouble. Okay, we believe in God, but we don't always believe God. Let me tell you something that, that's going on in my life. About 16 months ago, um, I'm working in, in a church, church I grew up in, actually. And the pastor came to me and he said, listen, you know, times are really hard. Um, people are losing their jobs. The church, you know, they're not giving to the church. We don't have enough money to keep you on staff. So we're going to have to let you go. And I got laid off 16 months ago. Okay, now... Most of you don't know this, but youth pastors aren't in it for the money to begin with. So none of us are rich. So when, when I get laid off, I'm not really working with too much of a cushion. And so I immediately start thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to survive this? Okay, we get to November last year. I have $1.36 in the bank. I got all my bills coming up. I got to pay rent. I got to pay my car. I got to pay my insurance. I got to pay my credit card. I got to pay my heat. I got to pay my, you know everything, electricity. And I'm like, how am I going to meet these bills? I have $1.36 in the bank. I don't have a job. I'm looking for a job. I want to work. By the way, being unemployed is really boring. Just saying. Um, and, and nothing's going on. And, and I'm like, you know, I know the promise that, that God, has, God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's a promise from scripture. But you know what? I'm not sure that's going to happen. Okay, so within 36 hours of me having a dollar thirty-six in the bank, like I get like over two thousand dollars. I got a check in the mail that I didn't know was coming to me. My, you know, someone I knew just handed me money. He's like, "I think you need money," and I'm like, "Yeah, I think I do." You know, and I'm very prideful. I don't ask for help, so I, I, it's not like I was going around to people saying, hey, "You know what? I only got a dollar thirty-six in the bank. Do you think you could help me with my rent?" You know, I would never do that. Okay. It's one of, my, one of my problems, actually, in life is I, I don't ask people for help when I need it. Um, and so, but all this money starts coming in. My sister comes by, and she had, like, went to Costco and, you know, filled her minivan with food and just dropped it off at my apartment. And, you know, I hadn't even told her anything about it. She's like, you need to eat. And I'm like, well, you know, I do, but you didn't need to do this. It was like 500 bucks worth of food. And I'm like, within 36 hours, I get to see God providing. I see, yeah, you get to see God fulfilling that promise. And let me tell you, 16 months later, I had a temporary job for like two and a half months, three months maybe. So I've worked three months in the last 16 months. 
I still have money in the bank. I have enough money to get through like at least the next two months because God has continued to provide for me. And I don't even know how. Like, I see that I still have money in the bank. I know where some of the checks have come from, but I, like, I add it all up in my head, and it shouldn't calculate. But I know I'm not that great at math. You guys already know this. But it still shouldn't calculate, and yet somehow God's continuing to provide for me. But do you know what I think? I think I only have enough money for two more months. What happens if I don't get a job before then? After 16 months of seeing God's constant provision, there's still this nagging feeling that somehow he's going to let me down. And I'm not telling you guys this so that you'll like feel sorry for me. Oh, Ron's poor. I mean, I'm not. I've, I'm more blessed than most people I know because I've gotten to see God's provision up close and personal for a prolonged period of time. But there's still this nagging doubt. Okay, it's really hard. It should be so easy to trust God by now, but it's still hard. And it can be traced back to, you know what, somewhere along the line in my life, I've believed the lie that God isn't always going to look out for me, that he's not always going to be there for me. Okay, and until we can see the truth and see God for who he is, we're always going to struggle in our relationship with God. First John 1 John 1.5, I'm going to close with this. Um, it says, this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay, some of you are like, how does that apply? Okay, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. What this means is this means that we can trust God. Because God is light. There's, there's nothing bad in him at all. Okay, we can trust God to do what he says he's going to do. See, Jesus reversed the curse. He undid the lie when he came and died on the cross for our sins. He undid that lie. And we can trust God. And now we know that we're never going to love God like we should if we don't trust him. And we know that the reason we don't trust him is because we've been lied to. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In that sentence, he calls himself the truth. So when the Bible talks about the truth, many times it's actually talking about Jesus. Okay, Jesus undid that lie because he's the truth. And the truth is we can trust God because God is good. He does love us. And he does want us to live a life that's blessed. Now, I say a life that's blessed. I don't mean that we're all going to be millionaires driving nice cars and all this. No, some of us might struggle, but we'll be blessed for it because we'll know God's provision. Okay, so the question for you guys is, you know, what do you believe about God? When I ask you these questions and say that, you know, we can trust God, the question is, will you trust God? Because you can never love God the way you should until you can trust him. Every good gift is from above, okay? Everything good that's ever happened in your life is from God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. See, every other person you will ever know has darkness in them. They'll all fail, okay? People will hurt you. Relationships will fail. Sometimes your parents might let you down. They don't mean to, but they're human. They're not perfect, okay? There's darkness in everyone. As a matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, there's darkness in you. 
No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. That's creepy. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Some of you guys did that way too easy. You're like, there's darkness in you. Okay. No, I'm kidding. All right. Come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. All right. I just want to close with this question or with this question. Okay, this is the question. I'm going to close. I'm going to pray. The band is going to come back up. The commandments are love God, love people. Four words. Okay, love God, love people. Everything can be summed up in a love relationship with God. So what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for just the awesome opportunity, the humbling opportunity to to speak before such a a great and awesome group of teenagers, Lord. I thank you for each and every one of them, and I pray that as they get ready to go back to their host homes and, and, you know, dive into this and through, uh, you know, small group time or discussion, that, that you would just make it clear to them how much you love them, how much your heart beats for them, that they can know that you're good and that they can trust you. And, Lord, I pray that, that you'll just be with each of us this weekend and that you'll show up in a mighty way and that something epic will happen this weekend that will change lives forever for your glory. Lord, I pray you'll be with the band as they get ready to help us, help lead us into worship one more time. And I just pray these things in your name.